0: I'm on the road this week doing a little tour of California, three cities in three days, San Francisco Monday, LA Tuesday, San Diego Wednesday. Adobe's Max Conference is this week in LA where creative software giant unveils its latest features. Eh, well, everybody's got challengers and one of Adobe's is a startup called Canva. Canva's emerged to help regular folks add high-end creative flair to their presentations. Even better, it was founded by a young woman in Australia who was looking for a way to make yearbooks in the digital era. Turned into something much bigger than she envisioned. I sat down with Melanie Perkins at the New York Stock Exchange recently to talk about how her design project turned into a profitable venture-backed brand that's earned praise from legendary tech watcher and investor Mary Meeker, among others. Welcome to Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. This week, my one-on-one with the co-founder and CEO of Canva, Melanie Perkins. Melanie Perkins, co-founder and CEO of Canva. Thanks for sitting down.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So when did you first meet Mary Meeker?
1: Met her a few years ago now, um, and we've been, it's been incredible to keep in contact over the years and continue to, um, to grow with her.
0: Um, And I just wanted to throw that out, because Mary Meeker, really big deal in investing. She's been around the Valley for a long time, and she has um, really, I think, elevated uh, Canva's um, reputation in the startup world. Tell me how Canva got started, because initially it was more of a targeted project, right, And, and ended up becoming a much broader thing.
1: Yeah, so years ago I was teaching design programs and thought they were really, really difficult. Um, started an online design system to create school yearbooks, but then wanted to enable everyone to design anything. Um, and so got started with Canva. Uh,
0: and you still have the yearbook project going?
1: That That is correct. Um, yeah, it's been incredible to see schools being able to collaborate and to design um, amazing yearbooks really quickly.
0: At what point did you figure out that this could be broader and What sort of gave you the confidence to take on kind of a platform project? That's a lot more complicated than just building a single purpose thing.
1: I think we just saw so many people really struggling with design. So when people were trying to design presentations and social media graphics and marketing materials, we thought it was ridiculous that they'd have to go and use these really complicated tools and that it should be online and simple and enable everyone to design really, really simply. Um, Because it seemed just so archaic that it was so hard. And every single person is needing to create so much more visual content nowadays, like teachers are having to create presentations and students are having to create amazing um, decks and marketing materials and all sorts of things um, to to compete in this world today.
0: You're from Australia.
1: That's correct.
0: (laughs) Um, You're still based in Australia. Mm -hmm. Is that important to you specifically to stay where you started?
1: Yeah, we've always had a very global outlook. So, Canva's actually in 190 countries across the globe, and we're in 100 languages. And so, it hasn't really mattered where we've been based, but it's been amazing to be based in Australia, um, but then to have so many investors over here um, in the States, and to really be able to tap into their expertise.
0: At what point did you start reaching out? to investors, knowing that it was going to take that kind of capital to to fuel what you wanted to do next?
1: I went to San Francisco the first time in 2011. Ended up staying three months until my visa expired. I'm trying to find investors. um, And then again, the the following year for another three months until my visa expired again. Um, And that was a really interesting world into the whole venture capital market um, and really starting to understand um, about that whole ecosystem.
0: So wait, how old was Canva in 2011?
1: Uh, it wasn't born yet. Right. So I thought, we, we I thought looked, <laughs> it was born
0: in 2012, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: So it was like a, three years of trying to pitch investors, trying to find a tech team. We got that together finally in 2012, and then it was a year of development. And then 2013, we launched Cam to the World.
0: What was the experience like the first time going out before you had really much to show and you, you, you had a plan?
1: It was challenging. We had our first company, which was the online design system for school yearbooks. Mm -hmm. So we kind of had that one proof point that it was um, that we could enable, you know, create a product. We could market a product. We could actually create something that people wanted to buy. But yeah, it was definitely a challenging feat.
0: (laughs) So, what did you get out of it?
1: Um, lots of rejection, time and time again. Um, but what else we got out of it was we really refined our pitch deck and we refined our strategy, um, which meant that by we're still executing on the deck that we had back in 2011. Um, so it was really important because we really had to think about it from every single ang- angle. Every time we got a rejection from an investor, we take their feedback and incorporate it into our deck. We revised our pitch deck like a hundred times um, until we eventually, eventually landed some investment.
0: How big is your team now?
1: We've got 700 people.
0: That's a lot of people. It is a few. Uh, And this is the first time you've been CEO of something that's that big?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: Tell me about your learning curve and your development as a CEO. Who have you gone to for advice? What are some of the critical moments where you've realized that you needed to go out and get a different level of knowledge?
1: Yeah, every single day literally brings new challenges and our company is bigger than it was ever before. Um, We've been doubling every year, so we're 350 people just this time last year. Um, And so every single stage has brought new challenges. It's been pretty incredible, like even the way we have done lunches, for example. So every day we have lunches together as a team. Um, And back in the day, we used to have it just around my mom's living room table. And now all of a sudden we've got 700 people having lunch in each of our offices. Like it's it's just a constant learning curve. Um, But I think that's what's quite fun is growing a company, you have to love problems and you have to love challenges and goals. Um, And so we're a very goal driven company. But what we're able to achieve with 700 people is completely different to what we could achieve when we could only do one thing at a time um, where we're just a couple of people.
0: Where do you go to for mentoring?
1: Um, so many people. We have been really lucky to be close to the Atlassian folk who've done some uh, amazing yeah. things before.
0: I was, um, uh, I was there at their IPO at <laughs> the oh, NASDAQ so a couple of years back. Very yeah. cool. Very unique company, unique uh, culture. Yeah, a-
1: absolutely. What have you learned from them? Um, I think that the way they've grown their company has been um, really akin to the way we look at it. We really want Canva to be spreading virally and and being adopted by the entire company. So we're now in 85% of Fortune 500 companies. We're in 50,000 schools across the globe, which is pretty cool. Um, But I think that the way of doing that has been really organic. And um, people just love their product, and and that's exactly what we've been uh, doing as well.
0: What's your biggest challenge been so far as a startup CEO?
1: I think one of the most fascinating things was when we had built our product the first time, we realized that we didn't just have to build an amazing product, we had to build it people's confidence in design. So most people are like, I'm not creative, I can't actually design. And then they got into our product and they were like, oh my gosh, I like, I've been conditioned my entire life to not believe that I can be creative and to design something. So we had to help people to overcome that. Um, so we spent a lot of time working on um, onboarding to make people realise that they could design amazing marketing materials and brochures and all these things, um, and that actually everyone can design. It's not just limited to a few people.
0: So your CEO challenge has been a product challenge.
1: It's been a... not a
0: management challenge or. A...
1: <laughs> admittedly, there's been challenges every okay, single step of yeah, yeah. the way. It's like with seven hundred people. Right, right. Um, the way we, for example, we do these things called season openers, So every three months. Um, the whole company gets together and we set goals for the coming season, we um, have amazing launches and we talk about community stories. But that's been something that's been continuously evolving is how do you give 700 people context about all of the things that are going on um, so then they can make the best decisions possible by having that context. So, The way we share context as a company has, has had to evolve radically from where we're tiny to where we are today.
0: Okay, now take me way back, way, way, way. I want to know how you grew up, what your passions were that led you down this entrepreneurial track. How much of it was kind of design focus, how much of it was technical focus, how much of it was combining the two?
1: I think I've always loved problems and I've always loved goals, or solving problems and I've always loved goals. Um, and so early on in my life, those things would be very small goals. It would be like, do the best I possibly can in a school assignment, or do the best I possibly could in an extracurricular activity.
0: What, what was your <laughs> extracurricular activity oh, choice? like literally
1: everything under the sun. I spent a lot of time figure skating growing up, which is oh, also really? a pretty atypical thing to be doing in Australia. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like... I Where just, do you figure skate in Australia? there was a local ice rink actually it wasn't that local it took me an hour to get to the ice rink and i'd go, get up at 4 30 every day and go to the ice rink bizarrely yeah. yeah what but- age <laughs> Uh, from nine till
0: fifteen. Just something that started like watching the Winter Olympics, and it was like I want to do that. And...
1: Yeah, pretty much. I, I went to an ice rink one day and thought it was really fun. Um, but I think that, the, that what that really taught me was determination. It's like you have to just try and fall over and try again and fall over again and do that hundreds of times until eventually something works out. Um, But yeah, I think that 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 determination really is a muscle that you just have to keep on flexing over and over again. You start with little challenges and little goals, and you just keep on building that um, as you go.
0: What was the biggest challenge in your childhood, besides the figure skating, (laughs) falling and getting up again, that crystallized that for you?
1: Um, That's a really good question. I don't think there was one specific thing. I think it was just lots of little things, like go and put myself out there in a public speaking competition, or go and put myself out there in a debating competition or whatever it was, and I would get so incredibly nervous and feel so scared of doing that, and then like, overcome that little challenge and then feel a little more confident for the next one. Still a bit terrified, but just building a little confidence each time.
0: What was the first thing you sold?
1: The first, scarves. Scar- I actually made scarves and again, this was another example of being terrified and overcoming that. I'd, I'd call up women's boutiques around, around Perth, my hometown in, in Australia, which happens to be the most isolated city in the world. Um, and I'd be like, hey, I want to buy my scarves on consignment, which was a new word that I learned at that point in time. And um, then I ended up selling it at all, all these shops and I think I made $500. So it, it wasn't like a really big booming business, but it, it did t- teach me a lot of Really important skill
0: these okay, so a wise scarves.
1: I made one for myself and thought it was pretty cool, and then thought I'd sell them. <laughs>
0: was it just lots of fabric around the house? How does how does a kid end up making a scarf for herself? I all, random...
1: <laughs> good question. <laughs> I I just always like doing random fun little projects, um, and and that was one of them. I, I was quite crafty.
0: So tell me about parental or somebody else's support, because if you're getting up at 4:30 and getting driven somewhere an hour away, and if you're starting a scarf business, somebody's helping you out.
1: Yeah, I had I have really fabulous. Parents who've always encouraged us to pursue random wild dreams, which has been pretty incredible. Like when we were starting our first company, we took over my mom's living room, ended up with printing presses there and staff there, and ended up taking over a garage, and that became our storehouse for our ink and, and paper. So, yeah, I've had very supportive parents. My dad was the one taking me to the ice rink every morning. So, yeah, that's been pretty incredible.
0: <laughs> what would you say they told you or modeled for you early on? that continues to have an impact on the way you run things today?
1: I think they never had set expectations of what we should or might or could or have to do. <laughs> um, they just really encouraged us to believe in ourselves and um, yeah, to pursue our own path. They always encouraged our creativity and sort of that independent thinking from really young, which I, I really um, appreciate um, that.
0: Do you aspire for Canva to have an IPO? Go public, be an independent thing, um, become a part of some other company like a, an Adobe or a Microsoft that, that might look at this. What's your, what's your vision?
1: Our vision. So we want to take everyone's idea and enable them to turn that into a design without having any friction between those two points. We've got more than 20 million people using Canvas today, which is pretty cool, but that is only 0.62% of the internet population, so we have like a ridiculous journey to go still. Um, We're really fortunate to be in a a great financial position so we can continue to invest in our community, to invest in our product. so yeah, there's not, there's not too much pressure other than to make sure that we are um, really empowering the whole world to design.
0: So you're not <laughs> you're not saying whether you want to stay independent or whether you're going to, let, what the outcome for the company itself is going to be versus the path? Uh,
1: independent is certainly the path um, that we're, we're shooting very heavily towards. Um, but what will be in those chapters uh, as, as the company unfolds um, is yet to be, yet to, to, to see.
0: When you look at the... IPO market now, WeWork uh, potentially going at some point, but having some trouble. Uh, Airbnb saying that they're looking at, at going out next year. Is that, uh, does that tell you something about the way uh, startups are moving these days? Does that inspire you? Does that, does that give you uh, ideas of caution?
1: I think something that we've been lucky for is like, in our first company, we were completely bootstrapped. So we had no external financing, we had no venture capital. In fact, I didn't even really know what they were when we started that first company. Which meant that we really got to focus on building a good business that actually made money and we're profitable today at Canva. Um, and I You're think profitable. we are, yeah. And I think that all of these things were really, really helpful um, having that learning experience because we brought all of those sorts of um, learnings and experience to Canva. Um, And so I think that there'll be things that are trendy and go up and down as companies go in and out of fashion. Um, But I think that building a good solid business that solves a real problem for real people, um, I think that that will always be on trend.
0: (laughs) Um, You're profitable now. When do you decide to take that next step and go public? There's a lot of companies (laughs) do it. When they're not profitable
1: there, there's no rush for us we're, we're in, we're in a, a very fortunate position to really be able to choose our destiny work with amazing investors and have our teams focus very squarely on building an amazing product for our community
0: but i, I know there's, <laughs> there's no rush you you never have to do it so why would you
1: i think at a certain point in time that that could be an exciting milestone to unlock for the team and for our investors and for our community um, there's been a crazy amount of investor interest and a, a crazy amount of interest even from our community wanting to get behind Canva and actually get a little bit of the action. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that could be something on the horizon, but, but certainly again, yeah, as I said, no rush.
0: Now, I don't like to ask women entrepreneurs women entrepreneur questions, certainly front, <laughs> but I also don't want to ignore it. You've been um, working on Canva for a long time. You talked about your first visit to the Valley around 2011, it's a good eight years ago. A lot has changed culturally and environmentally since then. Can you track that along your journey as an entrepreneur and have things changed, have things gotten better for a young female CEO operating a, a tech and design startup and trying to get interest, recruit employees, uh, get investors?
1: Yeah, it's actually my journey's been quite different in that we started out and I had a company, had no idea about this whole venture capital world, had no idea about startups, but had a company for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of went to Silicon Valley and it was this whole new world that I hadn't been exposed to in any way whatsoever. So it kind of everything was a little bit of a culture shock. Um, but then so, and then we've kind of, we're based here in, in Sydney, Australia, but we come into S- Silicon Valley. I think that the awareness of what's going on, the awareness of um, everything has certainly increased over the years. Um, and that's something that I'm really excited to see happen a lot more, and to see a lot more amazing female entrepreneurs to, to succeed. Um, and I think that that is, is uh, definitely happening nowadays.
0: Are female entrepreneurs treated better now than six, seven years ago?
1: I think so. I think no. that with awareness comes um, comes the ability to start to actually uh, fix things and I think that a lot of things that you've been seeing uncovered in the media is starting to, starting to help.
0: Are you running across more female investors who are kind of creating a network that you're able to tap into?
1: I definitely have seen that in- increasing too and I think that we'll see that happen even more and more as, as time goes on.
0: Is that important?
1: I think it's critical because I think the thing that we probably don't acknowledge enough as a society is how venture capitalists and entrepreneurs and media and the government, we're all creating the world that we're living in. And I think that having equal representation across every single experience to create the products and to create the companies and even the media shines a lens on certain things. I think it's so critical that we're drawing from the experience of everyone, um, not just a small few. Donnie, thanks. Thank
0: you so much. I'm John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox series on LinkedIn. That's brand new and a great way to keep up with the trends I'm seeing both on this Fort Knox show and in my other work on CNBC. That's also the absolute best way to be in touch with me. Leave a comment on the series. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X dot slash YouTube. Matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of these conversations. Or, you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. Meanwhile, share this, tell a friend, drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And, as always, thank you for lending an ear.